Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Hey, everybody. For this week's episode, we're going to replay a webinar that we hosted back in March with Gong's CRO, Ryan Longfield, and Corporate Vision's SVP of Consulting, Rob Perillion. It was an extremely popular webinar with over 2,200 people signing up, so we wanted to replay to make sure that you didn't miss out on it either. And it's titled, Here's Exactly How to Sell to the C-Suite. Because here's the thing, when it comes to selling to senior decision makers, you really only get one shot. So we decided to put together frameworks and data-backed insights from Gong Labs to show you and your team what works and what doesn't when selling to the C-Suite. Let's get into it. We're going to do our absolute best to stick to our 25-minute mark because when you sell to the C-Suite, it's pretty typical you only get about 25 minutes. So let's go ahead and dive in. If you're wondering who's talking, I am your host, Devin Reed, behind the scenes. And our first speaker is Rob. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Devin. Hey, everyone. This is Rob Perillion. So I'm with Corporate Visions. I look after our delivery organization, so the consultants and trainers um, that work with clients to um, to think about how people frame up value and make decisions in a B2B sales context. All right. Ryan, you're up. Hey, everyone. Ryan Longfield. I'm the Chief Revenue Officer here at uh, Gong. And uh, before this, I've been here. I've been here for about 18 months. Before this, I was at LinkedIn for 10 years. And uh, it says nine on the slides, but it was actually closer to 10. And a uh, little fun fact, I love vintage Jordans. I feel like there's not a lot of things in a male's wardrobe that can like add some flair and some pop, but shoes are definitely one of those things. And uh, the host and I share this, so he decided to put it on a slide. Uh, but uh, nice to be with you all, and I think it'll be a good use of time. I was wearing my Jordans to work one day, something I do frequently, and Ryan stopped me in the kitchen. He goes, hey, I have a pair of those. <laughs> and my jaw dropped. I was pumped. And then we, we of course, talked about it for a little while. Yep. Beyond Jordans, we're going to talk about a few things today. First, we're going to cover the biggest mistake that sellers make when selling to the C-suite. Then we're going to get into three advanced sales tips that will persuade decision makers to say yes. And then we've got some giveaway details that we'll dive into. And so with no delay, there's one thing that sellers are doing all the time. It's a big mistake. It backfires. Ryan, you want to take this one away? Yeah, absolutely. So I remember the last call I was on uh, where I was being sold and the crew came in and it was a very standard meeting, you know, in the normal way that it's structured. And inevitably the, the, the question came out at the beginning, so what keeps you up at night? And I was almost waiting for it. And so, you know, being a person in sales and compassionate and, and to, the, to the person on the other end of the side, kind of answer the, you know, answer the question and answered another question and then answered another question. And right about question four, I started to get a little bit annoyed. And I could feel this thing rising up in me and like, is this going to be a good use of my time? 
And when Gong did data, when, when we pulled a bunch of data around the right amount of discovery questions to ask when you're in a C-suite environment specifically, it changed dramatically from that of the kind of standard selling environment. And as I was sharing, that's been my experience as well. When we analyzed millions and millions of calls and we looked for the correlation between close rates and the number of discovery questions that are asked to the C-suite, on to, to, to the C-level person on the, on the line, what you'll see is right around four is the sweet spot. And I think what, what you, you need to be conscious of when you're selling into the C-suite is that the, the time allocation, what I expect to get out of a meeting or the time that I'm willing to spend educating somebody else to solve the things that I'm thinking about is going to be far shorter. And I think this is such an interesting one because there's, there's so many trainings out there where we're learning, okay, how do you ask great open-ended questions? How do you ask more questions? How do you keep the discovery moment going longer and longer so that you can be educated and then pitch them in the way that is, is appropriate for their business. And I think this one is so, it's somewhat counterintuitive because like, no, that's not true. In this particular environment, you have about three to four questions before most likely, of course, it's a generalization, that C-level person on the other end of the line is gonna start to get kind of annoyed and question whether it's a good use of their time. And so we have another piece of data uh, in the next slide that speaks to that as well, which is this is the length of the response based upon how many questions have been asked. And you can think of this as kind of like the shorter and shorter the response gets, the more kind of ready the person is to move on to the, to the next part where they're getting some value. And so the first thing that I would, I would recommend for people or the biggest mistake that I'd say that I most frequently make is that you don't change the nature of the meeting. There's this big heavy discovery moment up front in the C-level setting that's actually detrimental to your outcome unless a few things about that discovery are true. And I'm gonna kick it over to Rob to share some thoughts on what needs to be true in kind of like those discovery meetings in the first part of the meeting in order to make it valuable. Yeah, Ryan, well, I think about this and I remember when you guys first tweeted out that, that insight and I loved it then and I still love it because to me what it speaks to is something we talk about a lot, which is really be mindful in any interaction, but especially with executives, of who's getting value out of the exchange, right? And so if you're just asking questions, you're the one getting value as the seller, right? The executive knows the answer, so they're not getting any value. And uh, one way I think about this is, you know, Stephen Covey had the concept of, I think he called it the emotional bank account, and he talked about are you making deposits or withdrawals? And I think that applies here. Think about that relationship with your executive contact as, as a bank account. And are you making withdrawals or are you making deposits? And I would say questions are withdrawals because you're the one who's getting value out of that, not, not the person across the table. Yeah. Right. And so the tip to do instead, Ryan, is it sounds like, you know, ask your champion for discovery time instead, right? And so as you guys were saying, hey, do that before. You should have a few points of contact that are more than happy to prep you for meeting with Rob or meeting with Ryan. So that way, when you get on the call, those two to four questions that you use are absolutely sharp. Like they're the right questions. They're, and I would say they're only something, there's something that only that decision maker can answer. Yep. Right. And, and I would actually adjust this side, slide slightly. If you already have a relationship with the decision maker, I would ask the decision maker to send you someone that you can spend time with. Because if you go to the, if, if somebody came to me and said, hey, is there somebody on your team that I could talk to 
to make sure I do all of my homework before we have the meeting. So we don't need to spend any time on understanding your business. We can just dive into how we're going to solve. I, immediately, they have credibility with me. Immediately. And I will send, I will get somebody on the line for them to talk to, 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 to say, hey, I want you to spend a half an hour with this person, just answer any question they have. And then it's like the best discovery uh, opportunity you have as a rep because you've now, the person's boss has now told them that their job is to educate you on everything that you need to know in order to sell well. Perfect environment. So whether, and you can do this through email really well as well. So this is a, another good reason to do this. It's really simple to pull off. You just craft an email to the, to the C-level person or the DM and, and you say, hey, can you provide me someone? And nine times out of 10, they're going to say happily, here you go. Otherwise, they'll give you permission to do discovery in the meeting and then you do it that way. That's smart. I love that. Well, let's get into the first tip, which is the thing we're kind of touching on is how to get a yes. Sellers need Great. to understand the role of the CXO. Can you guys break that open a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's let's go to the next slide because I think this this hits it on the mark. Is um, sellers often misunderstand the role that the C level person is playing. And so there's a great quote here uh, from a previous leader of mine. He says, I only do what I cannot delegate. And I think this gets you in the mindset of somebody who's in a, a big job with a lot of responsibility. There, there's, there is a, you know, there's a certain point in your career as you're kind of going up the ladder where, where you get to a place where your, your mindset shifts from the primary influence that I have is this, the work that I actually do to the primary influence that I have is delegating and empowering other people to do the work. And this is oftentimes how the C-level people are going to be thinking, is if I can delegate it, I'm gonna delegate it. And I'm only gonna do the things that I can't delegate. And so oftentimes sellers will think that the CXO, the C-level person is making the decision when they've actually delegated that decision to somebody else. And this can be incredibly detrimental uh, to your deal. If you treat them like a decision maker in an environment where they've delegated that decision making authority, you're going to be misaligned with how they're thinking about decisions being made. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to share with you all a framework for decision making. Uh, informally or formally, organizations will use a framework to make decisions. They will have a set of roles internally. It's pretty universal and they'll probably look like this. So I'm using the rapid framework. This is from Bain. But I'll go through the different roles and then I'll show how it, it, it kind of uh, it makes a difference in a, in a selling environment. So the first role on here, you know, each letter uh, associates to a role. I want to start with was I. So an input in any decision making in, in any decision that's being made within an organization, there's going to be a big group of people that are input. Now, the, the characteristics of input are they give their input on the decisions being made, but there is no obligation by the decision maker or by the recommender to use any of that input. So this happens quite a bit. You go and, hey, what's your opinion on what tool we should buy uh, you know, for cadencing? Is, is this one better? Is this one better? And people will give the input. You're not asking them in a way where they have any authority over the decision. They're just getting input. And so you, you know, have that as a role that you're thinking about for every deal that you're running. Who are the people that are just input, no real authority? The second one is the D, and the D gets the most attention here. The D is the decision maker. And this, the decision maker is the person who gets close enough to the deal that they know, they know really like the intricacies of what's going on, 
but they're not the one that's going out and gathering all of the information and turning it into kind of a codified recommendation. There's somebody else that usually does that. So this could be your champion in an organization. Uh, it could be um, somebody that's involved in the deal and you can, you can see they carry a large amount of weight in terms of how the decision's being made, but they're not the person with the final authority to say, okay, after doing all the research, after your presentation to me, this is what we're buying, that's the DM. So those are the two key roles, like the D and the R. Those are the big positions of influence that you need to really be careful as to who's playing which role when you're selling, especially in the C-level environment. Uh, just, just to be comprehensive, the next two, so the perform, that's the person who once they purchase the thing, they actually push it through the organization. Big warning here, they can be a time suck in your deal because they'll ask a ton of questions. They're very interested in getting into the details, but they have no decision-making authority. And then the A is the approver. So this is not the decision maker. This is usually someone like a CFO. This is usually somebody who can say no, but they can't really say yes, right? Like they, 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 they'll, they'll, they'll knock down your deal, but they're not gonna be the one that wins your deal. And so oftentimes uh, what you need to be careful of is you will assume that the senior most person is the decision maker. And if you assume that the senior most person is the decision maker, you could destroy your deal. Because what could happen is you could get them more involved than they need to be. And then all of a sudden you have an extra set of critical eyes on your deal that you didn't want there to begin with. And mm -hmm. so you need to be really careful as to like, is this person actually the one making the decision and don't assume that they are just because they're in the deal. Absolutely. That, that's fire. That's so good to know. And I think that layout is going to help a lot of folks understand. You know, I think a lot of folks try to sell the same to the, everyone in the room, right? They kind of just play, don't really understand like the, the depth of different roles. And I think once you can kind of, you know, speak specifically to those types of folks, understanding who can say yes, who can say no, it is going to make a huge difference. If we go a level deeper, Rob, we'd love to hear a little bit more on you know, mapping the, the decision-making process. Uh, if you see any room there, or if you think Ryan covered it, we can just yeah. keep moving. Yeah, well, the, the one thing I'd add on to it, and Ryan, sounds like we have similar uh, mentors in our career paths, because uh, the way it was put to me in, in terms of executive mindset was um, only do what only you can do, right? Mm -hmm. Only do what only you can do. And that's the, that's the way that executives think. Uh, it's all about empowering their, their teams. But in terms of those roles, you know, the lens that we look at that through is absolutely understand who's who in the decision-making process. And then what we also look at, look at is think about the decision that each of those roles really is looking to make. So when you get into a decision-maker or recommender, um, for those, if, any, if anyone's familiar with corporate visions work, we say early on when you're trying to acquire a new customer, the decision that is really on those people's mind isn't do I choose vendor A or over vendor B? It's, as we call it, it's the why change question, meaning do I need to do anything differently from the way I'm conducting my business today? And so you can think about that kind of question. Once you get up to like an approver level, their question is different because they might, their question is gonna look something like what we call why invest, meaning this may be a perfectly valid question or business issue, and it sounds like it's a well thought out solution, but is this the best use of my company's resources and capital at this time? Um, and the secondary question is why now? So do we need to do this now 
or can we defer this decision by a quarter or two because I'd rather conserve those resources, not just the, the capital and the dollars, but all of the change management that goes along with it. So when you get up higher in the organization, if you can think about those decisions, that has implications for how you might conduct the conversation a little bit differently and really just stay in point for, and don't ask them to your point, Ryan, don't ask them for too much. Don't ask them to do something that they weren't prepared to do because they might take you up on it and slow you down. Yeah. Hey guys, quick question for you. Good question for you. I have to imagine, you know, and, and, to, and to be fair to the folks that are listening, we, we created this deck about a week or two ago. Obviously, we polished it recently, but there's been a, a small change, in the, in the, and I mean that facetiously, a huge change in the last few days with COVID. Does this framework still apply? Does it change in any way, given the new landscape? You know, the first thing I would say is, um, you know, obviously the, the barriers to attention and time and kind of time commitments are just higher. They're higher, particularly now in these days, but they're also higher in the context of what we're hearing from our clients is, and I'm sure everyone's living, is meetings are not being held live anymore, right? They're being held virtually. So you've got the whole COVID-19 distraction factor, but you've also got the sense of even if someone can carve out some time, they're doing it, probably that meeting's happening virtually, which just means the time pressure, the attention barriers are, are that much higher. Um, you know, the part about understanding the decision and understanding who's who and really being on point and on message, I think is really important. And we've got a, we've actually got a PhD neuroscientist uh, in our company who looks at memory and retention in messaging. Her conclusion is that really kind of no matter how hard you try, you should expect, you should expect retention from a meeting to be at about 10%. And it's going to vary, like sometimes you're on and it's going to be a little higher. Sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit lower, but she said you should plan on 10% retention on any message. And so what you really need to do is not, is actually you're better served controlling what that 10% is that they're going to remember as opposed to trying to bump 10% to 12 or 14 or 15. Assume they're going to remember 10 and then think about how do I get them to remember the right 10, the 10% that I want them to remember and make sure that everyone has the consistent recall of 10%, that it's not you know, different throughout the group that I'm talking to. So the first way to do that is to just make sure that you're crystal clear about the question and the decision that you need to answer for that person. And then there's some things, some principles, if we have time, I can talk to a little later, but she talks about making sure you're just very consistent in repeating that message strategically several times and that consistency will build that, you know, build that rep that rep that repetition will build the retention of the 10% that you want. But I, that's a really helpful framing device that I found. And I don't know if you guys are seeing similar, or different in, in your research. Yeah, yeah, I think absolutely, absolutely. The other thing that I'd just add quickly on on kind of like the selling environment that we're in right now is. If you think about the way that decisions are made within an organization and how delegation happens. There, there's kind of like a base level, think of it like the base of the pyramid being this annual planning that happens. And the biggest decisions of the company are made at a single point in time. They're saying, okay, you know, here's our top line uh, goal, here's our bottom line. And like those type of magnitude decisions are being made at a single point in the year and then reassessed over the course of the year. But all the delegation and all the purchasing decisions and hiring decisions and all the spending of money that happens after that is all based on these foundational pieces that are put together. And then, and then that is the, the, the grid or the, the way that people then make decisions and delegate following. 
So in an environment where those foundational pieces uh, are disrupted, like the one that we're in right now, the reason why you see so much scrambling is because those foundational pieces are adjusting right now. And so you had a deal and it was based on where the foundational pieces were. And then those foundational pieces shift and you're like, hey, why did my deal change? And it's like, well, because now it's a different environment. There's a different landscape and there's different like foundational principles that are being made for all the decisions that are downstream from that. And so I just say in a time like this, where those foundations are being shaken, it's more important than ever that you are talking to somebody more senior because the decision making goes, goes up in the organization when those foundations are shaken. And so you need to you need to be aware of, of what's going on with kind of like those biggest company decisions and not assume that what was true a month ago about those things and how they're purchasing and thinking about expenses are still true today. So, yeah, I'd say it's super relevant and more important than ever. Uh, I'm sure a lot of folks are in that bucket right now. Right. Deals that are on the last leg on the last uh, you know, towards the finish line, trying to figure out, hey, how can I adapt and make sure I get there? Let's jump to tip number two, which I think. It will be interesting because we're we're talking about getting higher, and I think every salesperson probably knows, even if they don't do it, which is okay for now, <laughs> that you need to get up the ladder. And we've talked a lot about great sales leaders are delegating more than they're deciding. And some of these outcomes, would love to hear from you. I'll go through them, and maybe you guys can just elaborate. So some of the negative outcomes of going too high are it adds unnecessary complexity to the sales cycle, making things a little trickier. You can definitely offend the true decision maker and you can probably even offend the person you're talking to, right? If you're trying to trying to hop skip over them. I won't say that I've done that once, but I've definitely done it twice. And uh, <laughs> you also look junior, right? It looks like you don't really understand the organization. You don't really understand how this game works. And so it's kind of like, you know, you can kind of, uh, kind of people might want to distance themselves from you a little bit, right? If they don't know that you know the game they're playing in. Uh, what, what else do you guys have to add to that? You know, you know, one device we use to help, and and if you, even on the next slide, Devin, I think there's a really good construct here is don't don't confuse role and title. And so when we think about defining the target of of a message of a conversation, um, we say think about the right mix of altitude and juice, right? Meaning, who's juice? Um, so who's close enough to the problem to actually care and do something about it? Um, but also high enough to have some decision making, right? So you want to have someone close enough to feel the pain and want to do something, but also someone with enough juice to, to actually follow through and make a change in the organization. And it's just kind of balancing those two. And that doesn't always mean all roads, like not every message is a CEO message or even a CXO message. Find out where that balance is and, and start from there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think the you know the the difference between the role and the title here is so important because if you assume that somebody not on the call just because they have a big title is the most important person to the deal, you could assume wrong. Yeah. Uh, right. And that that's the key. You you offend the true decision maker because they're like, no, really, I am the one making the decision, and you're assuming mm -hmm. otherwise. And I kind of think of titles as the lazy way. Uh, you know, the, the title, relying on titles is the uninformed way, right? Like you don't know who's going to be the recommender, the decision maker, the places of input, unless you do the hard work of asking the question, how do you guys make decisions? Who plays different roles? You know, like, what does that role feel like? How have you made purchasing decisions in the past? If you don't, if you're not informed, then you're going to rely upon a title. And oftentimes that title assumption is going to be wrong. 
And so you're going to think that uh, you need somebody else on the on the line to make a, a deal, and you don't. Um, and so just be very careful of that because then you pull somebody else into your deal and it adds a bunch of complexity. Yeah, a lot of folks say, hey, I know you're the decision maker, sure, sure, but who cuts the check? And they think that's the real decision maker, right? But there's there's different yeah. there's different roles there. All right, we're gonna jump into the last tip. We are at 25 minutes, but hopefully you guys are tuned in and enjoying it. We had a couple people say, this is really good material, all caps in the, in the comment section. And one of the early questions I didn't get a chance to get to was like, how do I handle like an agenda? Like, how do I even start this thing? And so tip number three is earn their openness to your influence. Ryan, do you want to take this one away? Yeah, Rob's going to cover most of this and I'm going to, I'm going to give him the, the floor um, to, to really go deep on this. But I think that we need to start with the, the starting premise that influence is not something that you get. It's something that, it, that you get just by assumption. It's given to you. In other words, you can't influence somebody unless they give you the gift of influence. And so with a C-level person, they're used to going in meetings, meetings all day long, back to back to back meetings. And in almost every meeting, the first five minutes in the mindset of the person uh, in this C-level job is thinking, is this meeting a good use of my time? Do I need to be here? And should I be doing something else? And so I would suggest that you spend a, a large amount of time thinking about the first five minutes of that meeting with the lens of why does this matter to this person? Why am I going to earn the right to then influence them for the rest of the meeting? And you need to prove that, don't assume that it's there. So be laser focused, especially in the first three to five minutes because you win it or lose it basically right there in the opening part of the meeting. And so I'll kick it over to Rob to go deeper on that. Yeah, Ryan, so um, I'm gonna go through just uh, some recent research that we did, and it's actually focused on even before the first three to five uh, minutes, it's about how do you get to those three to five minutes? How do you answer the question to the executive of why should I invest my time in, in this meeting? Um, by the way, I'm gonna just, uh, with an eye on the clock, I'm gonna go through this very quickly, but at the end, we're gonna offer uh, a download of this full research report, so if you wanna geek out and go deeper, we're gonna make all of this uh, available. But the context here was research that we did. We recruited a, a few hundred executives and put them into a simulation that asked, if you get it, what's the most effective messaging strategy for you to accept as an executive, accept a meeting with a vendor that you don't know, haven't been doing business with? The conclusion here is actually going to tie back to the first set of graphs that Ryan showed about questioning. There's kind of a common thread that, that runs throughout this. So real quick, the, the different messaging strategies that we tested were a value proposition, kind of a product-centric value proposition. Well done, there were no clunkers, but a value proposition. We talked about the most, probably the most common way that people are taught to sell to executives, which is show up, reflect, and show that you've really done your homework and you know their business, and then bring them a quantified business case with some numbers to, to show the impact that you can have. We did kind of an industry insight, kind of a provocative insight type of type of approach, and then also some competitive benchmarking. Executives love to hear how they're doing compared to others. What we found, and to get the winner, you'll have to read, uh, do the download, but I want to talk about here in just the next minute is there was one clear loser in every measure that we looked at. And um, Devin, if you want to just maybe just kind of quick, I'll talk through if you want to just quickly scroll through the next couple of graphs. Folks, you can see the exact sure. graph values in the research report, but what you're going to see is there was one condition that lost 
by about double digits on every question that we asked from how confident, how likely are to take a meeting, how likely are to turn down and decline a meeting. The loser every time by a big margin was that known business initiative. Now think about that's the most common way people are typically taught. Show up, having done your homework, reflect, hey, I really understand your business and here's the quantified business impact that we can have. Why did that, why did that approach lose so convincingly every time? And I would submit that the reason is very similar to the questioning graph that Ryan showed earlier, which is executives are going to value and you're going to get their attention. They latch on to information that they don't know, right? Tell me something that I don't know. That's what's going to get my attention. And if you think about this, the loser here that's highlighted in purple, the thing that makes that different from the other is that everything in that condition, I know your business, I've done my homework, and I understand your challenges. The executive knows all of that. And so it's in a lot of ways the same dynamic as you asking questions. They're not getting anything new out of it. When it comes to the quantified business, uh, bring the quantified business case, bring the numbers. The credibility that early on from a vendor that they're not working at, we know is going to be very low. And so what our research found is there's a place for the numbers and for the business case. It's later in the process because numbers don't help drive the decision. They actually help someone explain a decision to others. So they're important, but they belong later on in your meeting and in the sales cycle. And so the connection here, I think, is in terms of getting the executive's attention and earning their influence, bring them some information that they don't know already. That's how you, that's how you solve that problem. I feel like a really good boom is just delivered right now. Like that was just, that was fine. That was, all right guys, that is the last of it. We're gonna skip one slide to get to it because we are at time. So super quick recap, map out the decision-making process. Hire isn't always better and earn their openness to your influence. So Rob and Ryan, thanks so much for your guys' time. Thanks for your expertise and thanks for everyone who joined. Hope you had a good time. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.